Hey everybody, welcome back to the Be Your Own Bank podcast. It's everybody's favorite time of the week, the weekly roundup. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in. Please remember to like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. We really appreciate your support and we also like your comments too. So do that and if you like to listen to us and not just watch us, you can do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So let's get into it this week. We are doing a special weekly roundup. We are going to deep dive into the Ethereum merge that just happened on September 15th, and it went out without a hitch. So, yes, nice indeed. We want to talk to you about what it is, why was it necessary, how did it go, do you need to know anything about it, (laughs) and how does it affect you? So, starting with what is it? What is the merge? Why did it happen? What is it? What is it? I'll tell you. Well... Basically, what happened was we moved from proof of work to proof of stake. And briefly, that again means we stopped using computers that mine crypto and we started using computers that verify transactions through a staking process. So if you have a stake in the currency, which is 32 Ethereum, you're able to put that up in the network, and that gives you rights to verify transactions. So it's much better for the environment. Much better for the environment because it's not these warehouses filled with machines that are constantly running and processing transactions. It's maybe a couple computers that just need enough hard drive space to store the blockchain, and you just need a a little bit of ether, a little bit being $50,000 worth, (laughs) Um, to prove that you are someone that isn't going to try to mess up the system because if you do, your stake gets, gets slashed. You lose some of that money. So you're not going to, you're not going to jeopardize your stake to improperly verify. That's the hope. Right. So basis is we are verifying transactions. I'm sending money to you and you're getting that money, somebody's verifying that. Yeah. Instead of that being a single computer in somebody's home, that is now a node, which is uh, an investment of 32 Ether to say that I'm going to run this node and verify these transactions. And it's much more efficient and cost effective for yeah. the entire network. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the we talked about it last week. This merge will reduce Ethereum's ecological footprint by 99.95%. Yeah. Which is incredible. That's huge. So that's one of the big reasons why this happened. But what are some of the other reasons why this is necessary? Well, e- our transactions on Ethereum are slow, um, not as efficient, can be expensive. Of course, the high energy consumption. Um, and the, the idea is that this merge is just one step in a five-step process that once fully completed in the next couple of years will make Ethereum potentially one of the first currencies to solve the trilemma, which is scalability, security, and decentralization. Usually you can only have two of those things. Bitcoin, for example, has security and it has decentralization, but it's not scalable. So when you say scalable, what do you, what do you mean by scalable? Scalable means that we, we can reach a, a wider group of, of people 
and transact a lot more in a short amount of time, right? So when you swipe your Visa card, they're scalable. They can handle tens of thousands of transactions a second. Ethereum could, can only handle a few. Old Ethereum. New Ethereum too, until it's, it's done with all five phases. Oh, okay. Right? So new Ethereum is, isn't any more scalable yet, but it will be. It's in the process it's of in becoming the process. scalable. And the biggest first step was the merge. Because up until now, I mean, everybody was complaining about it, right? You got your NFTs and all these things that were blowing up last year that were costing, you know, $50 worth of Ether just to, to make a transaction. So that's not scalable. No, not at all. And when you have all these other competitor coins like Avalanche, um, Solana. Polygon. Polygon's more of a complementary coin. But yeah, they can do it faster. They can do it cheaper. And they can maintain security. That is a problem when Ethereum has all of these different developers and apps built into it. They might may, they may want to move to a different a different software. So Ethereum's got to stay competitive. It's also got to reduce its energy consumption. And so this is this is a big step in that direction. The developers say that this first step, the merge, is contributing to about 55% of the total completion. And then some of the other ones, I like these, it's... Um, it's a five-step process. It's a five-step process. So we've got the merge, which is done. Right. Then we have the surge, which is supposed to happen beginning of next year. And what that will do is it'll introduce this thing called sharding. Sharding is basically a way of dividing up the transactions into smaller units so that it can be moved and stored more efficiently. It's all ones and zeros. It's all math. It's all wh yep. what we're trying to do here or what the blockchain is trying to do is make transactions more efficient. So if we are in our current banking system, is not efficient. It's what we know. It's uh, expensive to send. You have tons of middlemen. You have, you know, real estate, all of these things that bog down the system that make your transactions more expensive. Whether or not you know if it's more expensive, I promise you it is. And so by a $50 Ethereum transaction last year, maybe kind of comparable, who knows, to other transactions in the banking system. We don't know all of the people who have to take a piece of your transaction. Why do you think there's transaction fees? Why do you think there's overdraft fees? Why do you think there's all these fees just to, to get your money from one place to another? Somebody's taking a percentage of that. What we're saying is this is the more efficient way to do it. And Ethereum has now become even more efficient than it already was. Yep. Absolutely. So that's the next step is the surge. And then we'll have the verge which is a complicated way of adding this new software upgrade um, to help with scaling, allowing for greater amount of transactions, but keeping the blockchain decentralized. And then the next step is the purge, which helps with data storage, making that more efficient. And then the splurge, which is all the other miscellaneous upgrades that are just meant to make the previous ones more efficient and secure. Well, and it takes out redundancies and just it it streamlines everything, mm -hmm. right? So they've got five steps in this process. And we're through step one. And we finally made it to step one. And how did it go? It went well. <laughs> yeah, it did. It went well. And 
specifically, nobody. I didn't feel hear anything. It. You about didn't feel it. it. Nobody yes. was like, "Oh well." Now this doesn't work. It it went through. Nobody had to do anything. They're they're completely revamping an entire blockchain, the number two cryptocurrency. And we didn't. I didn't hear a blip. I didn't hear a news report or anything from any of the major news sources. Oh no, not nothing. At all. Right? No, it's just all but crypto Twitter un- and unprecedented crypto news. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Nobody's done this before. Ethereum is the first to actually merge. The opposite of a merge would be a fork, which technically it did fork too. What was that all about? Yeah. So simply put, a fork is just a duplicate of the original chain and we move to an update. So for example, Windows 10 moving to Windows 11, we have both 10 and 11, right? right? So with Ethereum, when the merge happened, they had planned to sort of phase out Ethereum 1. But there's this community, this minority of miners, not miners, but like data miners. Well, when we say miners, that's all they're doing. They're, they're, they're taking a souped up computer. They're buying a bunch of GPUs. You've seen it. Yeah. And GPUs meaning graphics processors. Yeah. And they're, they're souping up these computers so that they can run these math problems quickly and solve these math problems, which makes the transaction valid on the blockchain. Great way to put it. That's all they're doing. That's what yeah. a mine is. So they have a ton of these high powered computers that, that take they spent a, a lot of money, lot of on. money on, take a lot of electricity just to run. And they're like, we want to maintain this network. And so what they do is they, they keep mining on it. Well, the developers of Ethereum are like, we want to phase this out because it just it just causes confusion. And so they put this program in that at a certain point makes it almost impossible to mine unless you've got developers on the other side that are like, we're just going to, we're going to phase that out. So it's this battle a little bit. So what they did is the 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 minority of miners, what they did was they cloned, they took a duplicate of the Ethereum code and they phased out this program that makes it impossible to mine. And now they're mining this, what we call skeleton or ghost chain. Let's also remember, right? We talked about how green this whole community is. And how the, I, I understand the, the idea behind this proof of work Ethereum, Ethereum one that we've been talking about is that it still exists because all these people invested a bunch of money into mining. And so when the merge goes through and there's no more mining, which is a good thing, they go, well, we still want to mine. We don't care how much the coin costs. We're still going to mine because that's free money to them until their electricity costs end up being more than the worth of the coin. And then we won't have Ethereum 1.0 anymore. Which is, I mean, what's already happening because they, I'm sure, budgeted if they did for Ethereum being worth over $1,000, which... The merge version is still worth over $1,000. It's down a bit, which was expected. Um, but they're, they're mining with, with equipment that costs so much money in electricity, it's, it's not going to mine enough of this old version to be profitable over right. time. And, and once the fork happens, you get the duplicate amount of coins. So... If you have, let's say you have 10 Ether, you're going to get 10 Ether W into your account if you're on a broker 
um, you know, Coinbase, Kraken, one of those places. You, I don't even think Coinbase listed it. Maybe not, but Kraken. They're slowly yeah. they're slowly starting to list the this new coin, right? The old coin, the new coin just merged, right? Yeah. So the old coin, Ether proof of work, ETHW is still around. And why would the why would the brokers? Why would these exchanges? Why would they? Why would they list it? Why would they list it? Two reasons. One is the consumer might want it because there is some monetary value. It's going to depreciate really quickly. Right. But there is some value. So if you have one Ether and you get one classic, when it when it dropped on Kraken, it was worth 14 bucks. That's 14 bucks you didn't have the, the day before. So you can sell that immediately and get $14. Just to clarify, you said classic. You meant classic because you were talking about the previous fork. Or were you talking about Ether 1? Uh, talking about Ether W. Because you're not wrong. Because Ether Classic split into the ethers without getting too into the weeds, but we're already in the weeds. So yeah. the point, the point of all of this is if there's money to be made, people will do it. Yeah. Well, and the exchanges know that people who are storing their Ethereum on them are going to be entitled to this old version equivalent amount. And so why not list it? Because right. they're going to make millions. what I did immediately when I got my, my drop of Ethereum W. Yep. I just sold it immediately at $14 a share. And so, a lot of people did. And it's going to crash the coin's value, but Kraken doesn't care because they're going to take their their fees on right. the value Yep. at the time of sale. So doesn't affect them any. They're going to make money. And I'm going to feel a little better because I get some, some, some money back too. But eventually it's going to fizzle out similar to Luna Classic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, it's a... It's a quick fix for people who know how to play the system in the game. They're going to make a couple bucks. Some people are going to lose a couple bucks. But the most important thing is that the Ether 2.0 merge, the Ether that will be the Ether that we all know and love forever, in my opinion, that is going to is going to stand the test of time because all of the apps that are built on this blockchain are, are migrating to Ether 2.0 and leaving Ether 1.0 behind. Yeah, the, the analogy that I think of is like, imagine if you had like an iPhone 7 and the iPhone 10 comes out. I think they're up to 14 now. Okay, so you you have an iPhone 7 and the 14 comes out, right? And everybody's switching over to that. Let's say you move all your apps from your 7 to the 14. You know, now you've got this this skeleton, right? Like they say, you've got this skeleton phone that does the bare minimum. Um, but it isn't supported by Apple. So and it's you're not getting the update. In value. It depreciates in value. You're not getting the updates. Right. So it's not as secure. Yeah. Nobody's supporting it. Right. So you can use it great, but it's not the new thing. Yeah. And your your new apps aren't going to work on it. Yeah. It's like it's your trade in value, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can trade up. That's what we're doing with this, with the with the merge, is you're trading up to the newest, best technology. You're getting the equivalent value. And if you don't trade up, now you're stuck with something that is not going to function in the way that it was meant to. So the next question is, do you need to do anything about it if you have Ethereum? Yeah, because, I mean, this is a big update. It's transferring thousands of tokens over to a new network, um, applications. It's, it's, it's an overhaul. You're, it's, it's a migration, a merge, right? <laughs> so... You would think, well, I got to do something about it. If you have your money on an exchange, you don't have to do anything. 
it's it's automatic. If your your money's in MetaMask, it's automatic. It automatically converts to the new ether. Yep, and you're ready to go. And if you're on the right exchange, then you'll get your drop of ether 1.0, which I must say is taxable because it's considered an airdrop and airdrops are taxable at the value of the coin when it hits your account. So there are softwares that will help you figure that out, but you must know that if you sell it and let's say you make, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, that's taxable income at the price of, of airdrop. And you should know that before you spend it all. Yeah. So it's not free money. Is what it's you're not saying. free money. No, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah. But let's, okay. So let's say, so for those who are just passively investing in Ethereum, nothing to worry about. If let's say you actually locked up some of your Ethereum in one of these exchanges because you were waiting for 2.0 because it, bef- a year ago you could lock up whatever amount of Ether. If you didn't have 32 Ether to start your own node, you could go to Coinbase and say, hey, I'll give you my Ether. You lock it up. You start your own node and you pay me dividends from that, basically. Yep. And they take a cut, a big cut yep. to manage but the node. no fuss, no muss. You know, you're not worrying about it. You're just getting interest on that. So right. if you decided if, to lock up some of your ether, then now that the merge happened, now you can, you can take that out, right? Wrong. Unfortunately, you still can't take it out. There are a, a few stipulations. It's going to be locked for another six to 12 months. And on top of that, once it becomes unlocked, there will be a limit on how much can be withdrawn at any given time period. Because they don't want to run on the bank. They don't situation. want to run on the bank situation. And a lot of people are in a loss. So some people might be like, I want to just sell it as soon as I can get it out. So they're gonna they're gonna limit the amount of that you can pull out, and that'll be per what's it called again? Epoch? Epoch, which is like six and a half minutes. That just sounds like not enough time for an epoch. Right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> um because I think of Eon when I think of Epoch and sure. that's like super long. So yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the point is, is that that way the value doesn't, you know, crash Hopefully, immediately yeah, yeah. because there's not as much access to it. Now, uh, the one thing to note is if you did get those dividends, if you did get that payback in, paid out in Ethereum, that will be accessible immediately once, once this Shanghai update happens. So you can pull all that out. Anyone can pull all that out, but that could flood the market in some respect. Chances are it won't because when people locked up their ether, ether was a higher value than it is now. So you probably wouldn't want to take a loss. Plus the people who locked up their ether probably aren't really worrying about liquidity. So those are two things to consider. Um, uh, and shout out to coin bureau. That's, uh, I heard that from him. Um, that makes perfect sense to me and gives me a little more reassurance that it's not going to go down to $300 or whatever once this new update comes out. Yeah, absolutely. But all this sounds really great. What are the concerns? Because this isn't perfect and there are some issues that are are boiling up after this whole merge went through successfully. One of the big concerns is the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, they are now looking at proof of stake coins with more scrutiny, potentially because they could be securities. We've talked about the Howey test, fourth pillar being, you know, gains made from the efforts of others. With Bitcoin, 
they've deemed it a commodity because of just how the structure of the mining process works with proof of stake. Currently, it tends to be a bit more centralized with people staking in big commercial platforms like Coinbase, um, Kraken, Binance. And they actually, Coinbase and Lido have about 42% of the total staked coins in their control. So what we were just talking about, right? You put it onto an exchange, you lock it up. They're getting all of the benefits and paying you out a percentage of those benefits. The fact that you are investing in Coinbase with a return on investment model that you will be paid out based on the work of others, which is technically Coinbase at that point, which is the centralized authority, yeah, that's under the jurisdiction of the SEC. Whereas if you had your own node of 32 Ether, which is a lot of money, it's a lot of but money. you don't have to have your own node. You could pool a node with other people, right? Which I feel like is what Le- uh, Lido is less centralized, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay. But yeah. the, the idea being that proof of stake is this decentralized entity that is not under the consideration of the SEC Coinbase is. That's why the SEC has any ground to stand on that it could potentially be a security. But once again, we're just saying that the government is out to find the flaw instead of solve the problem. Mm. And that's that's what we've been talking about this whole time is that if they were actively working together, which in episodes past we've talked about the SEC and the CFTC, the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission, working together to legislate, to regulate, that is a much better option. But there's just, they're out for blood and it's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And I feel like, yeah, right now, the way that it looks, sure, we'll classify it as security. Potentially, if I'm being honest, right? Because we've got a small group of, of institutions that are maintaining this infrastructure. However, six to 12 months from now, when it's unlocked and people can take it out and there are better ways to stake it on your own or other pools that come out more competitive with less fees, I feel like people will gravitate towards that and it will become more of a decentralized staking model. Um, And if you take it on yourself to start your own node, figure out a way to get your friends together, start a node, you know, get some paperwork involved, whatever it is. But that, that's the beauty of this is that we're the crowd. We're the, we're a bunch of people as opposed to a centralized entity. And that's what makes the decentralization so impactful to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No. And the long term of it is we're, we're decreasing emissions by 99 point over 99.9%. Yeah. Right now it's, they've decreased 92 and by the end of this process, it'll be 99.9. Yep. I mean, that's, that's antibacterial numbers. That is above antibacterial numbers. Cause it's 19.95. 99.95. It's yeah. 99. <laughs> it's a lot of nines. There's so many nines. Nine, nine, point nine, a hundred five. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically Lysol, but that's great. And then we also have institutions that are still interested in buying it. They haven't stopped buying it. They haven't stopped. And then stable coins, NFTs, yeah, scalability, because they, all the things. NFTs, stable coins, they all use the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum 2.0 blockchain, the merged Ethereum, not they the don't just school. use that, but yeah, that's one of them. Right, but it's a big one. Mm-hmm. USDC is a big one. Yep. Right. 
So all of those things that play into it and having these emissions offset, like that's huge. It's uh, Vitalik said uh, 0.2%, which last week we talked about the entire crypto market being 0.3%. So now we're down to 0.1%. It just doesn't matter. They don't matter. They don't matter in the grand scheme of things. They don't. That's what we're saying. Yeah. They don't matter. But but the fact that Vitalik but, can say that. Yeah, and the say, fact that you can say that. We're trying. We're trying. We're doing yes, this. Yep. We're actively doing this. And it's going to be better. And here's the proof. And we've run the numbers. This is all math and science. And ones and zeros. This, mm-hmm. this isn't, you know, C-suite guys making bets on, you know, GameStop. It's ridiculous. No. That's, that's ridiculous. This is impressive. And... People like Vitalik will be in charge very soon. Absolutely. So that is basically the merge in a nutshell. Everything's going well so far. We'll keep you updated if there are any sort of technical issues that need to be changed. And also, we're going to keep an eye on the other four improvement processes that are going to be coming through in the coming months and years. And we'll let you know how that affects your investment and the future of, of crypto. Yeah. So that's the roundup. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Let's take a look at those charts. All right. Let's take a look at Bitcoin. Right now we're sitting at 19,400. So that 19,000 support is holding temporarily, at least. If we can keep grinding on support, that's totally fine. In fact, the longer it does, the better case we would have for a reversal, which would be great. Typically, if markets are going to crash, they crash pretty fast. So we are in a holding pattern. If the 19,000 support does not hold, we all know what happens from there. Interest rates are still rising. Inflation is still high. Not much good news at the moment, but that could change in a day. That's how this works. The 50-day moving average in orange is below the 100-day moving average. Not good. I would say we're leaning more bearish than bullish at the moment. Let's hope 19K can hold. We take a look at this chart. Same thing. We've got mad resistance, so we got to overcome. And we have to come back up towards the 200-day moving average in purple, which is right around 30,000 right now. If we can break that, now we got a whole different ballgame. All right, let's take a look at total market cap. Same thing. 800 to 1.2 trillion. We're still moving in that range. We need to reclaim that 1.2 trillion, push into that 1.3 trillion, which is coincidentally the 200-day moving average. If we can surpass that, that's when we start to look for buying opportunities. But until then, just be patient. All right, let's take a look at our dollar cost averaging. We've got Rose. Rose is at six cents right now, peaked at about 50 to 60 cents. It's hovering close to the bottom. Not much room to go down, plenty of room to go back up. Good dollar cost average opportunity. Next, we've got Zencoin, Z-E-N, Horizon. Same thing, we are close to a bottom. It has retraced almost the entire way down to $14 about from right around 170. More room to go up than to go down. Check out Horizon Z-E-N. And last, we've got Kusama, which is the test net for Polkadot, sitting at $42 right now, peaked around 600. Once again, we've retraced almost the entire way. Looks like a good opportunity to pick up some Kusama KSM. 
That's it for the charts, gang. We are the Bit Bros. Remember, we are not licensed financial advisors. All content is intended for educational purposes only. Please do your own research and only risk what you're willing to lose. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. We appreciate your support. Please like, subscribe, follow, drop a comment, and you can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next week.